Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Eliza Rosenberry, and we're talking about, obviously, a thriller today, and I've been reading Catherine Coulter's FBI thrillers lately and really loving. They're, like, super action-packed, fast-paced, can't put it down, read it in a few hours, super fun summer reading. But my favorite mystery thriller writer, who I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, is Tana French, whose Dublin Murder Squad series is so good. So I'm Tavia Kowalczuk, and I have not read either of those authors, although Tana French is definitely on my short list. A series of thrillers that I have enjoyed over the years are by Sarah Paretsky. She is a grand dame, I think, of the genre. She is such an incredible writer, and I absolutely adore her character, Vic Warshawski. She's such a feminist. She's such a badass. She's a dog lover. She wears awesome clothes. She has fabulous shoes, and she always gets the bad guy. (laughs) I'm sold. (laughs) What's not to love? On today's show... A young woman is brutally attacked and left for dead. The police investigate, but the trail goes cold until GBI investigator Will Trent meets with a prisoner who says he recognizes the M.O. Today, we're discussing the explosive and haunting book, The Silent Wife, with world-renowned New York Times bestselling author, Karen Slaughter. We are so grateful for you, our loyal listeners. Please share our show with a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We read all our reviews and we really appreciate you sharing the love. And now we present to you The Silent Wife Abridged. Atlanta, Georgia, present day. A young woman is brutally attacked and left for dead. The police investigate, but the trail goes cold until a chance assignment takes GBI investigator Will Trent to the state penitentiary and to a prisoner who says he recognizes the MO. The attack looks identical to the one he was accused of eight years earlier. The prisoners always insisted that he was innocent, and now he's sure he has proof that the killer is still out there. As Will digs into both crimes, it becomes clear that he must solve the original case in order to reach the truth. Yet nearly a decade has passed, time for memories to fade, witnesses to vanish, evidence to disappear. And now he needs medical examiner Sarah Linton to help him out to hunt down a ruthless killer. But when the past and present collide, everything Will values is at stake. What did you think of the book, Eliza? It was, as you can guess by that description, I found it incredibly gripping and Typical for Karen Slaughter, it's a very graphic and difficult story to take in. But at the same time, absolutely page turning. You have to find out what happens because the crimes are so awful. As the reader, I found myself needing for it to be solved because it was so awful. Does that make sense? 100%. I share that experience. This book is really graphic. At one point, I gasped out loud while I was reading. I could not believe what was being described. And I was really unsettled, like definitely disturbed. Having said that, Karen Slaughter is definitely a notch above your general thriller writer. Like her prose is fluid. It is sharp. It is descriptive. She throws in one-liners when you least expect it. She is a great writer. Forget how she handles the genre. She is just a good writer. And it was really a pleasure to skim along those sentences. Aside from just the experience of reading, 
to me, you know, another mark of a great writer is how they weave in or how they explore thematic topics throughout the novel. And for me, I was really compelled by how Karen explored the concept of agency in this book. It seemed to me to be something that she was really interested in, who chooses how their own life unfolds. And obviously that's taken to the extreme in the case of a murder where someone's life is like taken from them. But obviously that can happen metaphorically in a lot of different ways that she sort of explores. And even in the opening scene, this isn't a spoiler at all, but one character is like a college student and her roommates are really pushing her around. And like, so even just exploring in that scene, how this character is trying to assert her own agency laid the groundwork from the beginning. And so I really appreciated reading that thread throughout the novel and it sort of comes back at the end as well. Yeah, in addition to her building on a theme and sort of poking around with it, there's a lot of care given to these characters. Not a single character here is a cardboard character. Even the typical cop who's like out of shape and cynical and jaded, like even he has dimension and has moments where, you know, he acts out of character or shows his humanity. I also really appreciated how this book stood on its own two feet. It's part of a series featuring Will Trent, but at no point did I feel like I was missing some backstory. Like everything I needed is in this book. And that was was really good. Yeah, I agree. It's always a trick for authors who have these like huge series to find ways to bring in new readers along the way without having to feel like you have to read every single previous Will Trent book in order to read this one. And I totally agree that in this case, you don't have to. At the end of this book, there's an author's note that I loved and it's full of spoilers. So so I won't really recap much of it. And you shouldn't read the author's note until you finish the book. But Karen does sort of reflect on the relationships in the novel between Will Trent and Sarah, who is his partner and the medical examiner, and her ex-husband, Jeffrey, who also features prominently in the book. And so these relationships brought a lot of heart to the book. I mean, we're talking about how difficult the book is to read, and it's really graphic and compelling and page-turning, but there's also these scenes that are sort of like weave in this romance anyway. And so in the author's note, Karen Slaughter says like, I bet you, she jokes, like, I bet you didn't know I was writing romances all these years, um, which I thought was so funny. So I can't wait to ask her about those dynamics as well. Indeed. I really appreciated that. And I think what I was saying about character development, like those relationships definitely contribute to that. And Sarah's just such a complicated, complicated woman. I really enjoyed spending time with her. Which sort of leads me to my last point I want to make about this book. Like more than any other thriller I've read, I think this book felt feminist in a way that really surprised me. And I say surprised because the victims are all women. They're brutally treated by the perpetrator. And that doesn't feel feminist. That feels misogynistic. But the way that the feminism comes through to me, no one else may agree with me, but I felt like the compassion that the leading investigators had towards the rape victims was profound. It was really nuanced. And in Sarah's case, it was personal. And I thought that that coupled with the urgency that these investigators felt to solve the crime, capture the perpetrator, it felt very enlightened and and pro-woman in a way that, I don't know, to me, that was just the sense I came away with reading this book. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Cheers, Tavia. This was a good discussion of this book. I'm really excited to talk with the author. Yeah, there's a lot of meat here. Cheers. Cheers. Quick reminder, we love hearing from you. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers and pose your own questions to authors who appear on our show. 
you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash the book club girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the Silent Wife audiobook. Today, we're joined by Karen Slaughter, whose novel, The Silent Wife, is available now. Karen, welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast. We are so happy to have you here. My pleasure. So The Silent Wife is your 20th published book and your 10th Will Trent novel. Congratulations on that. That is such a milestone. Thank you. You know, I was really pleased that the entire world shut down to honor this publication last year. <laughs> as, it was uh, shocking, but uh, expected, actually. As it should be. <laughs> as it should be. Right. So without spoilers, can you explain the meaning of the book's title for us? Well, it plays out in several ways. One in a very basic level, Sarah Linton, who is in a relationship with Will Trent in the current day and in a relationship with her former husband, Jeffrey Tolliver, in the past narrative, has learned from her mistakes she made with Jeffrey about not being honest about things that had happened to her. And so she vows with Will she's not going to be a silent wife. But it also plays on another level because there's a serial killer who wants to silence women, which is, you know, not uncommon. Lots of men want to silence women and they make jokes about it. But a lot of violence toward women is centered around telling them just to shut up, like it's their fault for having an opinion or having feelings or expressing emotion or even answering a question that men don't think they should be able to answer. I was going to segue into my next question, which is about the violence that you explore in the book. So one of the reviews of your novel talks about how the descriptions of the crimes and the violence are not for the faint of heart but prove that you've done a lot of work in depicting them. So I'd love to hear from you about how you portray these really sensitive and difficult crimes and what kind of research you do and how you approach that. It's really important to me as a writer to show violence against women specifically for what it is. For a really long time, especially when I was first started reading crime fiction, you know, if a woman was abused, it was somehow made sexy or titillating or she was a participant in it as if a 120 pound woman hitting a 200 pound man is the same thing as him hitting her. Or there was all these false equivalencies and a softening of language and I made the choice very early on to write unflinchingly about the violence that's happening every single day, every minute of the day against women, because when you soften the language, then you sort of hide it. And part of this is motivated because when I was growing up, my grandmother was being abused by my grandfather. And as a little, little girl, we would sit around at the Sunday lunch table with her and we would tease her about being clumsy because she had a cut lip or a black eye or a broken bone. And later I realized, wait a minute, no one's that clumsy. It's that alcoholic asshole grandfather of mine is beating her and we're not talking about it. We're making a joke about it and making excuses. And looking back on that, I realized the only person that protected and helped was my grandfather. It gave him cover. And so I made that choice when I started writing crime fiction to show violence against women for what it is. Now, if you're triggered by it or you're someone who prefers a softing at the edges, then don't read my books. But if you want an honest betrayal of what that looks like, then my books are absolutely for you. But I also put it in context because... 
I show you the emotional fallout. You know, it's funny because one year Lee Child and I wrote about the almost the exact same thing. And no one said that his books were violent or that he took an unflinching look. And I mean, my God, I think he murdered like Reacher killed or maimed 30 people in that book. And in mine, I think three people were hurt. And because of the psychological underpinning, which is the real point of my work, is to put it in context and show how it affects society, other women men who are investigating these crimes or who have wives or sisters or mothers who are impacted by these crimes. I just try to put that emotional scaffolding underneath it so that you feel what this violence does and how it doesn't just hurt the victim. It hurts everyone around her. I love that answer so much, Karen. We were talking about this earlier and Obviously, we were talking about how graphic your books were, but one of the things that I said, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but your answer has clarified it for me, was I said that your novels are feminist, even though there's this graphic violence against women. And now I understand why, because of your intention behind it. I am a feminist. I've always been a feminist, but a lot of times I will let my victims live. And, And it's in many ways much more difficult from a writing perspective to write about someone who endures a horrible thing and lives and tells the tale and deals with the emotional fallout of that. But, you know, I will say, give me some credit. I do horribly murder and maim men in my books as well, (laughs) but I never get credit for that. You know, and even weirdly, like the jackets on my books, the one book I killed five different guys and there was still a terrified looking woman running through the woods on the cover. (laughs) So it's just how they market it. (laughs) So speaking of naming men, although this doesn't happen to Will, uh, let's talk about Will Trent. So how did you originally come up with the idea for his character? What has the process been like for you as he's evolved over these 10 books? And as you've been writing him, have you always known where he would end up or has that grown as you've written each book? Well, I knew he would eventually meet Sarah. And so he has two books without her at where he is kind of figuring out how to be a person outside of his horrible wife, ex-wife, Angie. I love this line he has in one of the earlier books where he says to his partner in the GBI faith, I've only got two testicles. You know, if you want one, you're going to have to fight over my boss and my wife to get it. Because he does put up with a lot of shit from people. But the genesis of him in many ways was to make him the opposite of Jeffrey, because I knew he would eventually meet Sarah. So those two books I was working on making him someone Sarah would be interested in, because I think one of the mistakes that a lot of women make is the same one we give men a lot of crap for is, you know, they have a male female relationship. And the guy is just, he rolls over and he's like, yes, darling, you're wonderful. And please let me rub your feet and cook for you. And which is great. But for some women, that would drive them crazy in real life. And, you know, in the same way that men can make women one dimensional, it does them a disservice women to make men one dimensional. So it's really important to me that Sarah has someone in her life who's going to challenge her, who's interesting, who isn't going to roll over. And she's just not interested in being with that kind of guy. So I worked a lot on having Will, as you said, evolve. It's very important to me. He's not the same person in every book. 
And a lot of that is because of the relationships he's in, but most of it is because of what he sees happening as a police officer uh, or an agent with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. But again, I needed him to be different from Jeffrey because when I ended my Grant County series, I said, I can't just write Jeffrey and make him blonde and taller now. I need to really have him be different. And one of the things that came up when I was writing The Silent Wife, because I thought just as a writer, how am I going to differentiate between these two men? And, you know, part of it is Jeffrey is extremely handsome and that gives him the kind of confidence to walk in any room and be the center of attention. Will is very self-conscious. He'd rather be in the corner at the party petting the dog that wandered in off the street or, you know, talking to the cat. He'd be very happy with that. I love that description about him. Yeah, well, I love Will's that. a lot like me in that regard. You know, the other thing is Jeffrey, his humor is very literary based. So Will is never going to make a Sisyphus joke. He's just not going to do it. His references are pop culture and things like that because he has dyslexia. And while he reads audiobooks, which a lot of us do because they're fantastic, he didn't study the classics in college. Language is difficult for him. So his relationship with Sarah is different because of that. His relationship with most everybody is informed by that fact where he's always worried that he's going to miss a reference or that he's not as good or he's not as tuned in as everyone else. I love the line where you say in the book, he reads car magazines and magazines about cars. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. <laughs> Um, I have a question about the structure of The Silent Wife. So you use a dual timeline so the the reader is able to revisit the past of the characters to get a better understanding of who they are in the present day. So I was curious why you decided to use that in The Silent Wife. Well, I mean, at a very base level, it's because Jeffrey's in the past and Will is in the present. So I couldn't, you know, have him suddenly he's in the shower like Bobby in Dallas. But part of it was... Just talking to cops, you know, a lot of the time I speak with special agents or marshals or police officers or FBI agents, I always ask them, what scares you? If they're scared of something, we should really be afraid. So that's where I got the idea for white nationalists in the previous book, which was called The Last Widow. It's where I got the idea for The Silent Wife. It's where I got the idea for False Witness, my new book. But specifically in Silent Wife, I was hearing a lot of cops reflecting on the perceived infallibility of police officers. I wanted to talk about Jeffrey, who is a cop. He's a good guy. People respect him. They really believe in him. But what if it's possible that he made a mistake on a case? And what if that case gets reexamined and Will is the person looking into it? And he's got to tell Sarah, you know, maybe you're a saint of an ex-husband is not the saint you thought he was. Maybe he made a mistake and maybe because of this mistake, more crimes have been happening. I mean, that's one thing that we don't really think about when we think about wrongful convictions. As horrible as they are to the person who's wrongfully convicted, it also means that the person who committed that crime is still out there criming. But I think it's just been really interesting exploring that, the mistakes that sometimes are made and, and how difficult it is even for police officers, prosecutors, everybody involved in law enforcement to admit they made a mistake. And so that's what I wanted to do with false witness, because that's what I was hearing from police officers is them saying, did I make a mistake on this? And 
if you're a good cop, it keeps you up at night. As much as you are satisfied when you have a good result and you put away a bad guy, every cop has cases where they're like, I was 95% sure, but there's still that 5%. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, Karen answers more questions. And later in the show, we ask about her literary white whale. So don't go away. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by Dream Girl by Laura Lippman, New York Times bestselling author and previous Book Club Girl podcast guest. A dark, complex tale of psychological suspense with echoes of misery involving a novelist incapacitated by injury who is plagued by mysterious phone calls. Dream Girl is available now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Karen Slaughter, author of The Silent Wife. We've talked a little bit about this, but I wanted to ask about something that you mentioned in the author's note, which is surprise to your readers that you've actually been writing romance novels this whole time, right? <laughs> that it's, you know, really the relationship between Jeffrey and Sarah and between Sarah and Will. So I guess I was curious, how do you approach bringing those romance elements into your novels and, and why is it so important? Well, I think it's important to bring romance and humor and awkwardness and everything, you know, when you choose to write realistically, I think you have to balance it out. It can't just be unremitting horribleness, right? No one would want to read that book. I wouldn't want to read that book. There has to be some kind of relief. And, you know, at a very basic level, when you write about crime in any capacity, you're writing about men doing horrible things because men are the predominant perpetrators of all kinds of crimes, especially young men. And I even had a line a few books ago between Amanda, who is uh, Will's boss, and Faith, who is his partner. And she said to Faith, you need to see good guys occasionally, because if you do this job long enough, all you'll see is horrible men. And so you really need to search out good men to balance that. And so that's what I try to do with Will. Very early on in my career, I was one of a handful of women writing what they called muscular crime, meaning writing what they thought men should write. And it was too harsh for little ladies to get into. So it was just something that I felt really strongly about just making sure that I'm writing about not just good men, but good people. Because, you know, again, I write about women who do really, really horrible things, but I never get credit for that. They just, oh yeah, she's writing about crazy bitches, you know? So that's the kind of thing I think you have to pay attention to and balance. So my next question is sort of like your hot take. Why do you think the thriller genre would be a great pick for a book club that was looking to choose their next book? Well, I think primarily book clubs are basically alcohol clubs anyway. (laughs) So, you know, you need a book that's going to be really gripping and hold your attention because, I mean, it's really hard when you get to a book club and you haven't read the book and you have to fake it and then alcohol doesn't help that. (laughs) So it's good to have something that grabs you from the first page, but also you know, really good crime fiction opens up conversations. So if you read False Witness, you might talk about trauma or childhood abuse, or you might go, wow, that pandemic was really bad, wasn't it? Or if you read The Silent Wife, you might say, wow, what do lies we tell each other in relationships, lies we tell ourselves? How does that impact us? And just at a really base level, 
Sarah hurts Will's feelings really badly in this book and she knows it and she owns it. And that's a lesson that women learn, I think, as they get older is just to own your mistakes in a way that a lot of times men don't have to. So I think that that's a good conversation starter. But also, I think I write, especially some in False Witness, but especially in The Silent Wife about the things that scare women. To me, it's really important to write about that stuff. Yeah, and it definitely does lend itself to a lot of great conversation. Karen, we're just about wrapping up. You've alluded to it, but can you give our listeners a little bit of a preview of your next book? So False Witness is my next book. It's about two sisters. And I guess if there's anything that I like to do in looking back at my oeuvre, it's to talk about how things in your past can really screw with you in your present. And, you know, this is a story about two sisters who had something really horrible happen when they were teenagers and now they're adults and it's coming back to bite them in the ass. But also they're going through what we all have been going through, which is the pandemic. So the book isn't about the pandemic, but it takes place during the pandemic. And so I wanted to capture in fiction what we're going through. We have one last question. This is something we ask every guest that comes on our show. We ask, what is your literary white whale? So it's a book that you've always either meant to read or you can't quite finish. Oh, Orlando. And I'm not ashamed at all. This is like, I just, ah, uh, what the hell, man? I, I was supposed <laughs> to read it in college and it was like, I took the penalty. I said to the professor, <laughs> I just can't do this. And he's like, well, this is, this is Wolf. This is like some, one of the most beautiful pieces of literature. I'm like, give me a B, man. I just can't take it. So like, I had an A until then. I was like, take me down a letter grade. I don't care. Awesome. I think you're the first person who's mentioned Virginia Wolf on the show. So thank you so much for adding that. That diversity to our list. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. It was awesome to have you on the show. This was really a wonderful conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Karen Slaughter, whose book, The Silent Wife, is out now. To find out more about Karen's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com slash podcast, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review. We read all our reviews on the show. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast, tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You are going to hear from us again in two weeks for our season one wrap-up episode. Come join the fun as we review the very long season one. It's been about 18 months (laughs) with fun audio clips and tidbits from episodes past. And we'll also give you a sneak peek of season two. That sounds like fun. I can't wait for that episode and I did it. (laughs) Please stay in touch with us between episodes or between seasons. We're both on Instagram. Find us at Tavia Reads and at Eliza is Reading. And of course, at Book Club Girl. You can email us, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com or post in the comments on our Facebook group. You can also leave us a voicemail. Our number is 212-207-7336. Before we go, a big thank you to our producer, Caroline Quash, who produced today's episode, to our audio editor and engineer, Samantha Doyle. They're both from Hangar Studios. Also, huge thank you to Emily Crump, Caitlin Harry, and Heidi Richter for helping us get Karen on the show. Until next time, I'm Eliza. And I'm Tavia. Happy reading. Thank you.
At first, Sarah hadn't told Jeffrey about the rape because she was waiting for the right moment. Then she'd realized there wasn't going to be a right moment. The one thing that Jeffrey was most attracted to, the thing that Sarah had over most everyone else, was her strength. She couldn't let him know that she'd been broken, that she had given up her dreams, that she had been a victim. Sarah had kept the secret throughout their first marriage. She had been relieved she'd held it back during their divorce. She had kept it hidden when they'd started dating again, falling in love again. She had kept the secret for so long that by the time she'd finally told Jeffrey, Sarah had felt ashamed, as if it was all somehow her fault. The song on the radio pulled her back into the present. Amanda's ring clicked against the steering wheel as she tapped along to Sinatra's Ode to Chicago. One town that won't let you down. Sarah looked for a tissue. Her sleeve, Will's sleeve, was empty. Charlie had taken her duffel bag. She'd left her purse in the van. She should call Charlie and ask him to lock it in her office, but the thought of taking her phone out of her pocket, dialing the number, was too much. She wanted Will to spoon with him on the couch, to sit in his lap and feel his arms around her. He was probably halfway to Macon right now. They were literally going in opposite directions. Sarah could remember exactly when she had told Will about the rape. She'd only known him for a few months. He was still married. She was still unsure. They were standing in her parents' front yard. It was freezing cold. Her greyhounds were shivering. Sarah was longing for Will to kiss her. But of course he wasn't going to actually kiss her until she kissed him. The confession had come naturally, or as naturally as it ever could. She had told Will that she had put off telling her husband about the rape because she didn't want Jeffrey to think that she was weak. Will had told Sarah that he'd never once thought of her as anything but strong. He was kind that way. He was physically impressive. He was razor sharp, but Will was not the type of man who commanded attention. He was the man at the party who stood in the corner, petting the neighbor's dog. His humor was mostly self-deprecating. He worried about how people felt. He was silent, but always watchful. Sarah assumed this came from his horrific childhood. Will had grown up in the foster care system. He seldom talked about that time, but she knew that he had suffered a shocking level of abuse. His skin told her the story. Cigarette burns, electrical burns, jagged ridges where bone had fractured through skin. He was shy about the scars, unreasonably embarrassed that he'd been the sort of child that someone would hate. That wasn't the will that the rest of the world knew. His protracted silences made most people uncomfortable. He had a feralness to him, an undercurrent of violence. 
an internal spring that threatened to flick open like the blade of a knife. In another life, he might have been one of the thugs locked up at Phillips. Will had barely graduated high school. He'd been homeless at 18. There were criminal charges in his background that Amanda had somehow managed to expunge. This clean slate had given Will the opportunity to change his life. Most men would not have taken it. Will was not most men. He'd gone to college. He'd become a special agent. He was a damn good cop. He cared about people. He wanted to get it right. Sarah was loath to compare the two great loves of her life, but there was one very stark difference between them. With Jeffrey, Sarah had known that there were dozens, possibly hundreds of other women who could love him just as intensely as she did. With Will, Sarah was keenly aware that she was the only woman on earth who could love him the way that he deserved to be loved.